welcome to another episode of Lonely Town, a killer's podcast with Jimmy and Derek. Today we're here with a special guest, Joey Satorius, who's our friend from back in Nephi. Uh, went to high school together, same age. And we've got him on because we've got uh, he's got some interesting insights to share with us. And we just wanted to, we haven't seen him in 20 plus years and thought it'd be cool to get together and, and talk about the killers of Nephi. Yeah, if nothing else, this podcast has been good for like getting back together and seeing people that we haven't seen for a while. Yeah, Joey's, Joey's names came up a couple times with some things, so uh, we thought we'd bring him in. He, he, he's here, he's gracious enough to be here, and uh, what's your first memories of, like, growing up in Nephi, and then we'll get to, like, the killers and all that later, but uh, let's establish Nephi with you. So, Nephi for me, um, yeah, my family, I guess, in essence, is, is transplants. I, I know you guys have kind of chatted a little bit about that, but I was born and raised. We uh, the, up until I think I was in the sixth grade, we lived south of Levan, kind of in between Levan and Mills. So we were on the very south end of Juab County, kind of in the middle of nowhere. It was a it was like a forty five minute bus ride every day. I was the first kid to get picked up, last kid to get dropped off, and I, I just thought we were we were riding high when we moved into the big city of Nephi when I was in the sixth grade. So. Built a house there. Both my parents are school teachers. My dad's a seminary teacher in the state presidents, very ingrained in the kind of culture of Nephi. And my mom's a math teacher there at the school. And so, yeah, we, you know, I kind of was on the inside of most things, you know, uh, growing up, being the youngest of six. You know, I, it was a pretty, I kind of knew all the people and all the people that got taught by my, my parents you know, if I had a dollar for every time a girl that was our age told me my dad was hot, like, <laughs> like, oh my gosh, it, it got really old. But yeah, so I mean, Nephi for the longest time was was really, you know, that's all all we knew. And um, the funny thing is, the connection with with the killers and whatnot is the only real like family that uh, we would spend time with growing up was my dad's sister, and she was she was in Las Vegas, so we would go and spend the summers in Las Vegas quite a bit. Well, she had a cleaning company. We all worked for her cleaning company kind of growing up. And so my time was a little bit like Brandon's in the fact that I kind of split time between Nephi and Las Vegas. So that's kind of the history. So so the parents were both school teachers, but you'd uh, bus into school. You'd ride with them. Sometimes. You know, I'd miss the bus a lot, of course. And, and sometimes it was just easier not to have to make all those stops. So yeah, we, we just did kind of however it worked out. Um, but again, two cars with six kids—that's a lot of people to bus in. You know, you, you pretty much—I mean, to carpool in—you kind of had to make the bus if anybody was doing something special interest. You know, somebody had a basketball practice or something like that. You know, it was—it was pretty crucial to catch that bus a lot of times. What are your feelings about Nephi now, all these years later? Assuming that you haven't lived there since since high school, did you live there at all after? After that? Yeah, I actually did live. The funny thing is, is I was one of those kids that couldn't wait to get out, right? Like I wanted to go and experience, um, which is funny because I was terrible at school. I had no no interest in going to college. Didn't think that was for me. I really just kind of wanted to get out and experience something a little bit bigger, something a little bit livelier. So I ended up graduating. It was a semester and change early and went up and, and got right to work. Moved up to, you know, the really big city of Provo and <laughs> moved into a house with a bunch of guys, Clint Marklin, Spencer Knowlton, a bunch of the Nephi guys. Uh, a couple of kids that were a grade older than us in Brandon's grade. So yeah, I got out of there pretty quick. I actually... Funny enough, purchased a home in Nephi. I think I was 
21 or something like that. I've always been very intrigued by real estate, which is, you know, kind of where my career took me. But there was a, uh, a foreclosed property there that I had the opportunity of, of snagging at a pretty young age and, and renting out rooms to some friends. So I have moved back there since high school. I, I went away, did the military, came back, lived in Nephi for a couple, couple of years, and then have lived in Salt Lake ever since. And, and I actually, I'm more fond of it and I enjoy going back and being there much more now than I thought that I would. Like it, it, it's, it's uh, the pace of it. I just like being there. You know, it's, it's really easy to be there. Now that I'm there, I'm on vacation or I'm hanging out at my folks place and, you know, it's really enjoyable. I really like being in Nephi now. You know, when I was younger, I, I kind of wanted to get out from the pressure machine, I guess, the <laughs> calls it. There's something that you brought to the Nephi culture that I think wasn't there before. If it was, it was not as strong as uh, when you got involved. But can you tell us a little bit about how you got involved in BMX bikes? <laughs> yeah. Do you guys remember the show Rad? Oh, yeah. Crew Jones? Yeah. That, that was it. I, when I was, uh, gosh, I was like in seventh, seventh grade or something like that. I got. The, I was in Las Vegas, and I got this weird uh, sickness. I don't even know. I don't even know what to call it. The doctors didn't even know really what it was. But I was. I ended up being hospitalized for like a week in at the Nephi Hospital, and uh, I watched the show Rad probably like eight times a day, laying there, and got super into it. And then the timing was perfect because Richard White, his older brother Justin White, was super into bikes and. Just as we were kind of really getting into BMX, BMX freestyle, we uh, we got that little bike shop, if you guys remember, Service mm-hmm. Cycles, that opened yeah. on Main Street. And that was opened by Richard White's older brother, Justin, which tying everything in again, I think it was Hap White that was on one of the interstitials, right? So, I believe so. Yeah. 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 So just kind of full circle on everything. But yeah, you know, it was. It, I think it was kind of one of those perfect little storms that if I had been the only guy that had gotten into it, I don't think it would have stuck, you know, but I think it was just enough of a culture there with seven or eight people that were really into it that there would be, somebody's parents would allow them to put a jump at one house, and then we would do some dirt jumps at somebody else where there was a field next to their house, and then one winter, my dad let us build a half pipe in our garage in the, in the we had kind of this back garage in the back of the house, and so we rode in there literally all like every day, you know, and there was just enough to where we all kind of started to feed off each other. And then we would do like shows in the fair. And that actually took us to a few different places. That was really fun. We, we had a, some of my fondest memories kind of growing up or, or just being out on a bike or at the bank parking lot on main street, kind of back when everybody would drag Maine, we were like, well, let's save some money. We'll just ride our bikes <laughs> at the bank. Everybody's going to come here anyways, because this is where we're at, you know? So so anyways, yeah, that was, it was a ton of fun. And, you know, it started out as, as freedom. You know, when I grew up in Levan, you know, you had to ride a mile to get to your closest neighbor and, and four miles into Levan where there was one store, you know. So when I got into Nephi, you know, and was seventh and eighth grade and I could jump on a bike and be anywhere in town and meet up with seven or eight different friends, that was freedom to me, you know. And so I got really into it. And then, of course, and you get a little bit older and you can start to drive and it, and it dies out a little bit. Girls become a little bit more important. So, you know. Oh, man, I'm, I'm glad you're here to represent LeVan. We've, we've been neglecting LeVan. I've like, noticed. So, yeah, yeah. I, I was feeling a little left out, you know. I feel like I, I'm more of a Levanite than a Nephite, right? Like my real, like, 
first memories and memories of like my childhood memories of my family, they're all in my LeVan house, right? Like that's where, cause it was just me, basically just me by the time we got into Nephi, like all my older siblings had kind of moved, moved out of the nest. So anyways, let's get into it a little bit. What's your first memory of Brandon Flowers then? So you're, you're in middle school, you're moving in about the same time. We're all talking about the middle school age. You're coming in from, from LeVan to the big city. <laughs> Do you have any memories of, of Brandon during that early time, that middle school, maybe, you know, era? Anything? Well, you know, I was so glad that you guys had had talked about the the talent show that he and Don Mark. The second you guys mentioned that, it I instantly had the memory, right? And, like, ever since this whole, this whole Brandon Flowers and the Killers things happened, I'm sure that every single person that's ever had any contact with them has has immortalized that those moments right like they, they remember remember them as clear as day, and I had completely forgotten about that talent show, and it, and it came back to me as clear as day when you guys mentioned it. So I was really glad that you guys brought that up. My first like real kind of interactions with Brandon, and this is actually funny. It kind of shows kind of who he was and what he was into. I was dating a gal that was we're well, not dating. I mean, I was hanging out when I was a freshman. I was hanging out with a sophomore gal. And every single day, multiple times a day, you know, in between classes, I'd, I'd go to her locker and see what was up. Every single day, multiple times a day, Brandon would come up and ask her for the Depeche Mode album that she had promised to lend him, that she had continually forgotten <laughs> to bring. And every, I mean, he was relentless about it. Like every single day, he'd come up and go, Depeche Mode, Depeche Mode. And like, like I know, I'm, I'm bringing, I promise I'll bring it, I promise I'll bring it. And uh, that was kind of my, that, and I always remembered he would wear shorts with Birkenstock sandals and socks. I don't know why that's <laughs> something that's like stuck in my memory, but like, I just always remember him in Birkenstock sandals and socks. That was hot when we were in high school. Anyway. That was like a big thing. That was the trend. Yeah. Let's go back to that. Okay. Let's go back to the talent show. Cause you have a good memory. When we were talking to Clint, he kind of downplayed it or, or the family Markland, they erased that it ever happened. Except for Don was the star. Let's hear your version of what happened in this talent show. Well, I mean, that part's a little foggy. I remember I remember the placement of how they were set up. They were set up like an ex, like an oddly like large distance apart from each other, is how <laughs> I remember it. Like it was it was it was on a basketball court, right? Remember that? It was in a little school gymnasium yep, yep. of the rubber gym floor. And there's like, you know, center court. And then they were each like on the opposite, like three point lines. I feel like, like it was an abnormal distance apart, at least in my memory. And it didn't surprise me. I don't remember the song they sang or anything like that. That's what kind of jumped out at me was how, how weirdly far apart they were. But the funny thing uh, is I, I don't, I don't doubt at all that Don probably was the stuff. Like he's an amazing pianist, right? Like, and their whole family, the Marklins are just like insanely musically talented. So at no point would that surprise me if Don really was the talent, especially back then, right? Like, I mean, he's still is probably on par with, you know, just about anybody in the world from from that standpoint. So, uh, so what do you remember about the first time you heard the Killers on the radio or wherever you heard them? Yeah, so I remember exactly where I was. I remember the time of day, everything, and this is funny because. You know, like I discussed earlier, we discussed earlier, I, I, I really wanted to get out of, of, of Nephi uh, when I was young. I, you know, again, just wanted to experience something a little bit more fast-paced. Well, I went off, joined the military, did that, um, came back, and all of my friends, Clint Markland, Spencer Knowlton, 
Todd Greenhouse. Can I name all these guys? I mean, that's probably cool, right? Uh, you're you're friends with them, so you know better than us. Okay. Most of it, so. I'll, I'll call them and make you, sure. You make sure they listen. Home. If they got a problem, I guess they can come on and defend their good name. Whatever. <laughs> uh, Spencer would actually be a good one to have on. He 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 was very uh, instrumental in me kind of grabbing all of this this stuff uh, early on, and kind of as the killers started to blow up, but. But yeah, I, had, I I came back to Nephi uh, for a summer, and at that time, my really my only skill set was masonry. My dad was a brick mason, and you know during the summers, so he'd teach school, and then we we would either go to Las Vegas and, and work there, or else we would lay brick with my dad. And so one of the few skill sets I had was was laying brick or or, or assisting in that. It's called tending hod. And I, I came back uh, again. It is this per- perfect opportunity to buy this house, and I. You know, and I was making really good money for a, a guy that age. And, and so then, of course, I had to have a cool truck. And, you know, we're so close to the sand dunes. Got to have a four-wheeler. And then these things start adding up. And, and I started realizing, like, oh, I'm, I'm really, like, anchoring myself here to Nephi. This is, this, is, this is getting serious. And definitely feeling, I guess, a little bit like, uh, am I going to be able to get out of this? You know, am I going to be able to get out of this if I want to? I like having kind of that freedom. Anyways, I, I had gone back to work for the summer and, and kind of started, you know, collecting these these anchors and uh, was working for a guy named Calvin Wright. He's an old brick mason in town. We were on the job. Somebody told me he came on the radio. You know, we were kind of bebopping to it or whatever. And uh, a couple of the guys that I'll, I'll be more careful and strategic about using people's names there. A couple of the guys that are, are also, you know, born and raised Nephi guys said, you know, hey, this is this is Brandon Flowers band. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. This is, this is actually really good. You know, like I'm, I'm really digging this. And they're like, yeah, it, 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 it honestly, like the weird thing is we found out that he was in town that night. Well, you had mentioned it earlier. What was the name of the place he played at? Lo-Fi Cafe. Yeah, Lo-Fi Cafe. Spencer Knowlton was going to that show and tried to get me to go. I think I had called him or something. They're like, have you heard this? You know, somebody told me jam and, uh, Tried to get me to go. I didn't go, but funny enough, you guys remember Stuart Knowlton, the shop teacher. Oh, yeah. He yeah. went. Him and, him and Spencer went. Um, uh, that was the very first time I heard it. I was on a brick job in Mona, Utah. Honestly, you know, speaking of some of those anchors that, that I had started to kind of like, you know, that were kind of here, that, that seeing Brandon kind of go and do something and really like go after something, there was an element of like, okay, all right life's not over, you know, I can, I can go and do some stuff and I can experience some things. Um, and so for me, like that, that song and honestly that, that hot fuss album, I mean, that was back in CD players, you know, that thing didn't leave my CD player for, I don't know, nine or 10 months. I mean, it was just like all consuming, couldn't get enough of it. And went further. I ended up becoming really good friends with Brandon's nephew. He used to get me all kinds of really cool stuff. All the, most of the songs that came out on the Sawdust album, I had heard pretty early on, shortly after Hot Fuss came out. And so I was pretty critical of Sawdust actually when it came out because they had, you know, digitally tweaked and, and, you know, better produced, I guess, a lot of that. And I didn't like it, you know, it was different to me than, than, than the way I had heard it or the way that I had fallen in love with it. And so, yeah, I, I got in and, and, and felt completely in love with the sound, the music, the lyrics, uh, and just couldn't get enough of it. I, I, I went and saw them every, every chance I could. I've seen them in Vegas multiple times. I've seen every show that they've, they've done here. Um, just got really excited about it. So you became a fan. 
I'm, I was a super fan. Yeah, it was. I I was a full blown full blown super fan. Do you got any any of that old stuff still? Any of that stuff that you had? Yeah, yeah. In fact, um, it's kind of devastating when we just uh, moved into a new office. I had um, I have a few few pieces of autograph stuff from from Brandon, and my favorite one was when he was touring for his solo, second solo album, Desired Effect. I <laughs> I made the, the the crucial mistake of worrying that the concert posters were going to run out, and so I bought one to at the beginning of the show. You never buy a concert poster at the beginning of the show, right? Because you, you, you the thing's going to get wrecked before you leave. But I was so worried that I was going to run out of one. I had to have one. Got it. Um, that was a cool show, too. Uh, when he started on that, we didn't know that this was going to happen. We were kind of in an older area, roped off, 21 and older area at the show. Um, Where was that show? That one was at a little place, uh, I want to say the Union, or something like right there. The Depot? No, the, the Depot. Depot. I saw him there, too. Uh, he was touring Flamingo when I saw him at the Depot. Okay. That was an incredible show. This one was, it was a bigger venue than the Depot. Uh, um, somebody's going to be listening to this and screaming it at their speakers. Yeah, because can, I can't think of it. Let us know. So, it was somewhere. Yeah, the was, venues on the west side of Salt Lake. <laughs> yeah, right, right down by the gateway. And we, where we had set up in this 21 and older portion of it is where he started the show. So he literally started the show up, like, one foot from me standing on this little tiny pedestal like we watched him sing his first song right there it was incredible uh i got uh, that night after that show we had my wife and i had the awesome opportunity of getting to hang out with him for a second and he signed that um desired effect poster and when i moved it into my new office it was unlocked for like one night and somebody stole it out of there Ooh. i was devastated oh, no. yeah so anyways but i uh i grabbed a we saw them when they were touring Hot Fuss. It was the second time they came through town. They were at Kingsbury Hall. And uh, Josh got me backstage on that one, too. And I got a couple of things signed from him then. So I have some cool stuff from that. I didn't say... I used. I had some really cool stuff from the house... It was the second house of the time I saw him at House of Blues. It was on New Year's Eve. I got some really cool stuff from there. The House of Blues shows were cool. Like, both times that I've seen him at House of Blues... Like, members from the band and stuff have just, like, walked around, like, just, it's been, it's, like, a really intimate venue. And, yeah, that, that, that's pretty cool. We'll have to, I'll have to kind of go through and see what I can scrounge up. That was down in Vegas, the House of Blues, right? Yep. When you, so, we'll, we'll go with this for a minute. So, when you first meet him backstage and you're introduced by, are you introduced? Are you hanging out with a family member or do you just kind of get a pass and you're going back there? Yeah, both times that I've gone backstage, it's been, like, kind of waiting in a line to, to meet Brandon. And, and, in fact, every time that I've, 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 you know, we bumped into each other a, a few times or whatever, I guess, over the course of 20-some-odd years. Um, and he always asked about my parents. I think he probably was taught by both my parents at one point. So that was going to be my question. I was going to say, this: did he remember you, or did you have to introduce yourself and, you know, say, hey, this is who I am kind of thing? Yeah, I think he, like, remembered me. I don't know if, like, if the first time I saw him, he'd have been like, oh, hey, Joey, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. Well, I mean, I guess he... I mean, he knew who I was because without me saying anything, both times that are, or, yeah, both times that I've seen him backstage, it's, it's been like, oh, how are your parents? You know, like, still teaching, you know, like, really personal dude, you know. So I guess he remembered me, you know. I'm sure he doesn't remember a whole lot about me. Yeah, so. you don't just sit there and talk about uh, driving driving bikes down Main or anything with him. No, I don't think he's sat and pondered <laughs> about me quite as much over the last 15 years as I've sat and pondered about him, you know. No, no, I think he brought up a good point, though, uh, Kind of growing up in Nephi and, and how you saw Brandon making something of himself. 
I've noticed this online a lot, and it's kind of the comments and videos and different things. I think with our generation and probably all those coming before us, uh, if you were from Nephi in a small town, kind of the best you could do is you might go to college and get a pretty good job, or you might have a business or something like that. It seems like after Brandon's left Nephi, the kids now have higher aspirations or, hey, I can become something. I can, uh, it sounds bad, we'll get into pressure machine and stuff like that, but it's like I can get out of this and I can become something. I've kind of noticed that online with some things, kind of what you said there is, uh, I don't know if it relates to that, but I've kind of noticed those comments and things to, I mean, what what was our window really? When we graduated, I don't know. I don't think any of us were going to the NFL. I don't think the thought of, of touring in a band was realistic for any of us. Uh, but now the kids can say, hey, Brandon grew up here, and, I mean, he's an international superstar. So uh, I do think that's been good for the community. I don't know if you guys have any thoughts or feelings about that, but that's something I've kind of noticed. I, I have some I have some thoughts on that. Per capita, there's as much or more talent coming out of Nephi than anywhere. In fact, um, it's kind of funny. So, you know, we have this, uh, you know, 12-person real estate team. And through real estate, you get to, you know, you get to bring in a million different people, right? You got you got people that are that work on your house. You have people that are going to do landscape design for you, builders. Um, you, you can bring people, a lot of people kind of roll through real estate, right? It's a, it, it's the same thing as like if real estate's going real, really well, then that probably means the economy's going really well and vice versa, you know. So a lot of stuff kind of rolls through real estate. And, and as we've started to, you know, we've, we've got a few people from Nephi that are on our team. Um, you know, Meadow, of course, that graduated with us. Uh, a kid named Diedrich Davidson, who's quite a bit younger than us, but... Um, uh, Michelle Warner's uh, son. Anyways, gosh, I got to stop dropping all these names. Um, we've started kind of incorporating, and of course, I like working with people from Nephi because I know what I'm going to get. Like, I love working with contractors from Nephi. I, I, I just know what I'm going to get. I feel like when I work with people from Nephi, they show up when they say they're going to show up. They do what they say they're going to do. They're reliable. We, we got talking as, as we started pushing these things through, and there's this other gal who knows nothing about Nephi that's on our team. She just knows me and Meadow, and then, and then uh, another guy who, who runs a very successful uh, uh, landscape architecture firm in Salt Lake City is from Nephi. And then we started talking about, I can't remember, but one day, or it was like one week, all these different things that we were, people that we were going to use for projects or different opportunities that we had were coming from Nephi. And then she found out that Brandon Flowers was from Nephi, and this gal on our team, Danny, <laughs> It's like, is, is Nephi just like the Wakanda of Utah? Like, we just like, oh my gosh. And I'm like, you know what? I mean, in all honesty, like there's been some pretty like special things that have like rolled through. Oh, my, my, my sister, the, who's a New York Times bestselling author. That was also part of kind of the conversation that we were having that kind of brought her to that. You know, obviously Nephi is kind of the Wakanda of Utah or of, you know, reality, but anyway. hidden gem. It really is. Yeah, it really is. So now I feel bad that I was like so not living in the present when I was in high school and so anxious to get out because now I look at it with really pretty fond memories for you know the people that we've met and and honestly a lot of my success now has has a ton to do with the relationships that I cultivated way back when you know so anyways so what kind of response do you, is there a typical response or an average response that you get from people? You work with when they find out you're from Nephi? The main thing that I get from everybody that I tell that I'm from Nephi is that 
they got a ticket there on their way to Las Vegas. <laughs> like, that is, like, everybody has been pulled over. It's there or Fillmore, right? Like, yep. those are the two towns you get. Beaver, even, I guess, those three towns. Like, you're getting pulled over in one of those three towns. If right right around the bend when you're leaving Nephi, going south. There's yep. always a highway patrolman there. And uh, they usually got somebody pulled over. And, yeah, I've had a few of those conversations with yep. people, too. That's the main, that's the main kicker. That's funny. I was thinking, uh, preparing for this, you know, in the early 2000s, when people found out I was from Nephi, you know, I first moved to Texas for my first job, and when people found out I was from Nephi that were, you know, had Utah ties, they would ask about the killers, you know, they'd ask about Brandon, and I haven't, no one's asked me about that for a long time, um, you know, it's every, every once in a while somebody will know somebody from there, and they'll ask me about that, but I was thinking how interesting it is how, how quickly that kind of faded away, and I don't know, it just, they've just become part of the culture and they, you know, they created their own brand that is no longer, I, I don't know, maybe people just don't think of them, well, things have probably changed with Pressure Machine, but, you know, from that, from the beginning, when they, when they first got big, that was some of the people always talked to me about, but not so much anymore. It was kind of strange because everybody was his best friend, but like, I, I don't know. I, I stick with the story that you don't move back to Vegas if everyone's your best friend. I don't know the whole story there though. So you have any, any uh, insight on any of that, Joey? Uh, I mean, same thing that you guys kind of covered. I know that he went down there to try to golf as much as possible and then, you know, liked it quite a bit, I guess, and, and stuck around. Um, you know, I, I've heard some things just about how they got started and stuff. I bet, honestly, you guys could have Josh on here and he could give you the, the whole scoop of how, how they got together and how they started. I know that, uh, you know, Ronnie, the drummer, was super into, like, heavy metal, really was hesitant about going the direction of doing something, you know, new way, more new way of sounding like the killers. Um, but ultimately kind of had to do it. And I think he, he told the line of two different bands for quite a while and ultimately made the smart, profitable decision. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, and he, he ended up, uh, he lives in Utah now too. I think he has a home in park city. So, you know, everybody wants to be here. <laughs> Literally. I'm in real estate. Everybody yeah, wants to be here. It's yeah. a hot spot to be right now from what I understand. Yeah. So, so you're going through hot fuss, you're getting into sawdust, do you just keep up with the killers the whole time, or do you take a little break, get back into them? Yeah, I have a weird relationship that way, you know, I think I was like a lot of people, Samstown came out, and I was pretty hypercritical of it <laughs> at first, uh, and then it, it ended up being, you know, it wasn't quite on the level of, of hot fuss for me, but, you know, it, it really sunk its teeth in, and spent a lot of time with me and some of my dearest songs, you know, or, or mo most treasured songs, uh, that they've created are off of that Samstown album. Sawdust, uh, I enjoyed it. That was another one where, you know, I was a little bit resentful at first of some <laughs> of the changes they made, but ultimately really enjoyed that one. Uh, I, I loved day and age day and age. I had no problem connecting with kind of right away. Uh, that one just, that one sang to me, that one came out, Shortly after we got off of deployment to Iraq, Clint Marklin and I and kind of the rest of the guys, and all of those songs are really time pieces for me, you know, because it, it's, it's something specific and challenging that I was going through. Honestly, with, all, with, the first, with those first four albums, they each kind of have a, a different chapter in my life that play a really integral role and day and age being huge, just that group of guys kind of coming back and trying to figure out what it was like um, to kind of reintegrate into society. And it was it was different when we left. 
it was, I think we had a very unique experience in the fact that we left in spring of 07, the, the, the economy just absolutely riding an, an absolute high to coming back in the spring of 08. And me at the time being in construction, uh, I came back to a very different economic landscape than when I had left. And getting back with all those, those guys and all of us kind of trying to figure out there's a lot of guys that were in construction full time because we were all National Guard guys. Um, that when we left, things were good, and when we came back, they weren't so much. Um, and so, kind of figuring that out, and and that that album plays a, a a big role, kind of in that. You know, I I I had gotten married six months before I deployed, and so, you know, I was a newlywed, a brand new newlywed, a year and a half after being married, just because I came back from Iraq and figuring that dynamic out and, and anyways, that, that plays a really special place, um, you know, with me as it's gone on. Um, my last probably really like, um, I guess, uh, intimate, you know, album like that, where I really, really just crazy connected, uh, that was full blown killers was, uh, Battleborn. And then, honestly, my favorite album that, that he's ever done, anything that he's put out, and it's not even close, is his first solo album, Flamingo. That one uh, is just, I, I feel like, his best work. The story, lyrically, um, I just love that album. Start to finish, um, that is by far and away, maybe my, maybe my top three album, favorite album albums ever. So, not just The Killers, like, yeah. Well, let's get, as you've gone through the albums, I wanted to, you know, ask you specifically about Pressure Machine. Do some of the themes on there resonate with you? You know, what are your favorite songs? What are the ones maybe you don't like as much? How does it, uh, how does it fit in with your, your taste for killer music? I, I kind of like the Americana vibe that it has. It's very Americana. I just recently started listening to it without the interstitials. I thought initially... Like, that was the only way to listen to it, right? It was with the interstitials. But the weird thing is, and I actually had a question about this for you guys. Well, how do, how do you guys listen to it? Do you listen to it now with or without the interstitials? I'm without interstitials. I I listen to enough with interstitials to where I can just recite them afterwards anyways in my head. So <laughs> uh, for driving around and, and doing that kind of thing, I think uh, for sanity in my marriage and with my wife, we go without interstitials now. Okay. Yeah, same. I, I go without. That's... That I've discovered, it, honestly, even like five days ago, if you'd asked, I'd been like, well, you only listen to them with the interstitials. But it's a much better album, like musically, <laughs> without the interstitials, right? Like, And the thing about, it's actually taken me a little bit longer to connect with this one. It was really cool the first couple times I listened to it, because it is just so intimately ingrained. I mean, it is Nephi, right? You can't, if you're from Nephi, you can't listen to it, especially with the interstitials on. The only thing you think about is Nephi and the people in Nephi. There's no like, you know, with all of his other music and, and even now that I'm listening to it without the interstitials, I can connect on it the way I want to connect on it or I can enjoy it just with what's, I can make it uh, be in harmony with my life, right? It's not like I have to go back to this place in time that only exists in Nephi, you know, like with the interstitials, I felt like that was the, the case. And the funny thing is, is I think really it's only people from Nephi that it would connect with it that way, right? Like, I wonder, like, what everybody else thinks about the interstitials, you know, like, from people from the UK or whatever, you know, like... Well, yeah, when you hear voices and you put names to the voices, 
I just think with the interstitials, it's, the album's a roller coaster ride anyways. And when you have some of that thing, like the horse going down, different things, it's just up and down and up and down. And, I, you know, I've even skipped some. So I was, like, listening from point A to point B. And now I'll, we'll skip a few songs every now and again just for the mood because I'm like, this one's going to bring me down. <laughs> yeah. And I don't got time to get back up. Uh, some of them, you know, maybe it's a rough day or whatever. I'm like, let's listen to this and let it roll. But uh, how did you find out about the album? And what were your first thoughts when you found out this is about Nephi? Uh, yeah, this one kind of sprang up, right? Yeah. You guys were talking about that. It just right, kind of all of a sudden. Before they said, hey, this is coming out. It's about Nephi coming out in August. Yeah, yeah. And that's that was kind of along those lines. And it's funny because, yeah, a gal on our real estate team uh, actually owns the building in which Brandon grew up in or spent some time growing up in. She, she talked about it a little bit, just that they were snapping some pictures and stuff for an upcoming album. So that was kind of my first, like, oh, cool. And then finding out it was going to be all about Nephi, when I did, I was really excited to, to hear it. And it, I, for me, it didn't disappoint. It, I think, again, I just, you guys mentioned it, it as funny. When, when you guys went and watched when they toured Battleborn at U of U, and mm-hmm. we all went to that, you know, like, there is that kind of feeling of, like, when you're in the audience, like, well... Is he ever going to mention us? Like, yeah, like, <laughs> like what, like what, you know? And so I kind of that validation of like, oh my gosh, cool, you know? Like, it, like I, I've been wondering when he's going to talk about this, you know? Like, so, so you've seen him live every time he's been in, in Utah. You said, yeah, you see him in Vegas. Are the shows different? Does he mention things in Vegas about Vegas? We've only seen him the one time at the UBU. Uh, the earlier Utah shows, was there anything ever mentioned about Utah or growing up here or anything? I will say. Every time that I've gone to a killer show from way back when, uh, in fact, the very first time I ever saw the killers was at House of Blues. They were still touring Hot Fuss. It was incredible, by the way. They toured Hot Fuss for a hot minute. They they got their money out of that one. Yeah, the very first time I saw them, and, and every single time that I've seen them, I've expected him to have a little bit more dialogue with the audience and, and maybe something about, about his up, upbringing. I think, I think during one of his solo shows, um, and I don't remember which one it was, whether it be uh, Flamingo touring at the Depot or Desired Effect at that place, I can't remember. Um, he did, I think, bring up that, you know, that he grew up just down the road or something like that. But he's never like, you know, I've always left his shows being like, what the hell? You know, like, are you, are you ever going to mention us? I'm glad we weren't alone. Yeah. So were you nervous at all when you heard it was going to be about Nephi? I wasn't at all, but I can see kind of like the, I could see it ruffling some feathers for sure. You know, just uh, not wanting it painted in a bad light or some of the things that maybe aren't quite as easy for Nephites, if you will, to talk about. Um, being brought to the forefront and on a very public stage, you know, um, I was very curious to see, like, and I, I, honestly, I think he did a brilliant job talking about the, the, the cool thing about that album. I mean, is it really is our experience, right? Like we, we are his exact demographic, his age, the people that were, you know, influencers to him at that time. It's not like we had this social media and all these, you know, all this outside stuff to look at, right? I mean, you were much more directly impacted by the people immediately around you. 
And the fact that like that was our exact experience, exact same timeline, you know, the the mid to late nineties, like in that little tiny town, it was the exact same experience as him. So there's definitely I think he did an incredible job at kind of the the struggles that our parents didn't even know that a lot of us were going through or feeling different or feeling, you know, just like that, kind of that feeling like me, like wanting to get out and experience something else, maybe feeling a little bit different than what the norm was there. Like, I feel like he captured that essence kind of there, a little bit of a feeling of being trapped or, or the, maybe not trapped isn't the right word, but you know what I'm trying pressure. to say. Yeah, the pressure, yeah. So your parents are still there. Yeah. You've, you've name dropped a few friends that are still around the area or you're familiar with the area. Um, what have you heard back from that side of things? So so you're a fan. You're going to like it. Regardless of what comes out, we're going to listen to it. Me and Jimmy are going to text and say, we like this, we like that. Maybe you could have done without this or that, whatever. But overall, we're going to like it. We're going to go to the show. Have you heard any, any feedback from people in the town about the album and, and what was their take on it? Uh, all the feedback I've I've received um, has has been pretty positive. You know, I, um, I haven't heard anything, uh, you know, from any of the townsfolk that <laughs> that they're ready to, you know, get the you. pitchforks out. You know, nothing like that. So, yeah, it's been all positive. So one pressure machine specific question I wanted to ask you was about growing up next to Salt Creek. You have any memories from? Being right on it, just because you know, for people who hear Salt Creek in the album, don't know what it is. Uh, you know, it wasn't a big part of my life because it wasn't really by my house. But you guys were right on it, right? Yeah. Uh, well, Salt Creek actually played a huge role when I first moved in. We we would go to the creek like almost every day of the summer, right? Like we would we would always try to get the girls over there and try to push them into the creek. You know, like we we were just always hanging out there. We'd light fireworks down there. And when I, when I first moved into town, we were on kind of the southwest side of town, really close to the fairgrounds. And back in those days, they still had that great big old dilapidated rail station. Remember that old red rail station that was just across the train tracks from the rodeo grounds? You guys remember that at all? I'm not picturing it. It was like two or three stories. It was just open. Like you could just go in there. I mean, kids had spray painted all over the place. It was probably on like... Yeah, first first south. Anyways, it was literally it was right. full of graffiti. Yeah, I think I do know it now. Yeah, it was right by the train. We tracks. always thought transients lived, lived in there. Oh, well, I'm sure they did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm okay. sure they yeah. did. Yeah, I'm I'm up to it now. But we would there was a little the area where the Salt Creek would kind of bend right there before it got to the uh, the fairgrounds, and there were a lot of trees. So it was a nice place to stay cool and hang out. And we we were there like every day of the summer. We we, we loved it. So yeah, I have a pretty fond memory of that, honestly. Do you remember the taste? Did it taste salty? <laughs> I, have, I have no recollection. Uh, I don't it remember being salty. salty. Uh, yeah, no, no recollection. Well, I just know it's called Salt Creek because it comes out of Salt Creek Canyon where there's salt mines. And I've heard that it's it's got a salty taste to it, but I never, never, I'll never have, tasted it. Yeah, and my, and my parents now live right on Salt Creek, right? They have that house right on Salt Creek. I'll have to go down there and dip my head. Yeah. Yeah, you get back to us on that. I'll, I'll, I'll make sure I report back for sure. With the pressure machine, you kind of had, so you said your dad taught seminary. Yep. Um, for those people that don't know, that's like a religious class. It's a it's a church class. Um, did you have any any pressure? Did you have any connection when the pressure machine 
uh, with the religious aspect, anything like that growing up that you could connect to or, or share with people that might not be familiar with that side of, of life, really? Sure, yeah. So, you know, it's it's funny because my dad, for uh, all intents and purposes, you know, was ultimately a professional, I don't know, what, how would you want to call it? He was a school teacher, right? But it was his job to teach the religion to the kids in our school. And so... In addition to that, he had a, a, a calling from the church, uh, uh, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, where he was in the state presidency, where he was kind of, uh, and you guys might be able to explain this better than me, um, but he was a pretty influential dude within the religion in our town, right? Like, very, very influential in that regard. And so, you know, growing up uh, kind of in that environment where, yeah, I mean, you, I definitely felt the pressure where you kind of had to be perfect, right? Like, it was my ja- my dad's job depended on it, you know? Like, you feel like growing up that you're you're not going to be as accepted or as loved as much if you don't necessarily vibe with that culture or that religion as much as some other people do or if you interpret things, I think, a little bit different. Um, and so... There was, I think, a lot of that. And I think that, that just the town on the whole, you know, and, and you guys have, have mentioned this or guests have mentioned this on your show where they discuss that, you know, you, you don't want to be outside the norm necessarily in our town, or at least you didn't then. I do think that um, Nephi has come a long ways in the last 30 years, right, from when we were kids there in the early, mid-90s, um, just in terms of acceptance and love and a little bit of diversity, Um And so, anyways, back to my kind of original point is I definitely connected with that that kind of the essence throughout the album, um, the the Pressure Machine album. I mean, the name, it's not so much an essence. It punches you in the face. He was feeling that pressure, too, you know, like that there was a little bit of um, if you didn't see things the way you felt like you were supposed to or that you know, was really kind of hammered into the culture because it wasn't just, I mean, you, you could really say that, that the, the big part of what, you know, that what drove our community there was, was religion. That might have been the biggest kind of common thread, wouldn't you say? I mean, yeah. Yeah. religion and, and, and the high school, you know, and the, and the high school sports teams and whatnot. I mean, that was, that was Nephi, and I was there was no getting around any of that for me. I mean, we were in a pretty public eye in terms of, you know, people either loved or hated my mom, right? Because she was she was a, could could have been a, could be a hard teacher, you know. Like my dad, most people just loved him, right? Like he's a very easy guy to like, a pretty charismatic guy, and pretty big figure in the town. You know, and, I, and in my eyes, all my older siblings, my five older siblings, they all walked on water. To me, you know, there's a pretty big age gap between me and them. Uh, in fact, I'm close, as close in age to some of my nephews as I am to my siblings, right? And it's funny, Brandon, I think, is a lot like that, too. He was, there was a pretty big age gap. Um, but, yeah, I, I absolutely felt that pressure. And I think there was that was a big part of kind of why I felt like I wanted to get out is I, I didn't feel like there was a place... Um, for me, and probably, I think most people would be pretty surprised by this. I, I, you know, I did a pretty good job of fitting in and pretending and, you know, like, um, but yeah, I, I, I feel like a big part of kind of my desire to, to get out and experience something else is just being able to really kind of be who I wanted to be, you know, like 
something really simple and, and, and silly, but might kind of describe this as I always wanted to do the, the musicals, but never dare, never thought like, well, I can't, I can't do a musical. Like that's not possible. And I was, I was, I was floored out of my mind. My senior year was on stage crew mm-hmm. and, uh, they needed extra bodies for this this scene where they just had all the stage crew people. And I'll be honest, I only did stage crew because it was the easiest class on the planet. But then I actually, we got to get, be in a musical um, because he needed bodies, right? And I thought that was the coolest thing ever. And like, I think it's kind of that. Like, back then, I don't think you could, if it was different, if what you kind of wanted to do or what you felt was normal, you felt was your authentic self was different, than kind of what everybody was pressuring you into doing, there wasn't really a voice for it, you know? And so a lot of the reasons why I say like Brandon was just freedom for me when I, when I first heard it is I had kind of found myself falling back into that when the Hot Fuss album came out. And yeah, it was just, wow, like this is freedom. I can go and do it. I can express myself how I want to. I can, I can do the things I want to. I can, I can um, you know, speak with my true and authentic voice. And honestly, that's going to be better. It's going to be more impactful than, than, you know, pushing all this stuff down, all these feelings down that, that I might feel or that I might see differently than, than what a lot of the people I grew up with or, you know, what my home life or my, you know, what, what it was like, you know, like if I'm a little different, that's okay. Like I should be able to feel that. And I, I feel like, you know, maybe back in the nineties, like I didn't even dare go out for a musical because I was afraid of what the pressure would be or what, you know, people would think or whatever. So maybe pressure is the wrong word, but you, you really did kind of care about public opinion or the jury of public opinion, because that was strong in Nephi. You know, people knew everything. And, it, you know, so, so yeah, um, you know, I was really like just proud to say that like Brandon was, was from Nephi and that I knew him and that we went to school together and that, he had the balls to just go and do it. You know, I thought that was so cool. It, it was, it was, it was freedom for me. So a couple questions here that I know if I don't ask, we're going to get people upset about us not asking. So you brought up one high school story with Brandon, uh, the Depeche Mode. You have any other high school memories or stories of Brandon? And then, um, afterwards you met up a couple times. You're kind of not the inner circle, but you know, some people and stuff, just Brandon stories in general that our audience might find, you know, Interesting. Well, one story, um, I was listening to one of your episodes that you did previously, and you were talking about, I believe it was at Harry Reid's funeral, and he did kind of a mashup, right? One of the coolest mashups I've ever heard was, and I, yeah, it was the Day and Age album. It was again at House of Blues. It was the New Year's Eve concert that we went to. I want to say it was New Year's Eve. That might be wrong. But it was at House of Blues, Day and Age. And he mashed up Viva Las Vegas by Wayne Newton to start the show and went into um, the Are We Human song. And it was like one of the coolest things ever. I mean, it, was, it had the place going nuts. Um, so that was, that was really cool. In terms of just like uh, stories that I have, you know, nothing's, nothing's, nothing's springing. Yeah. Yeah, it seems to be. The high school thing, we haven't found that connection yet, but it seems like everyone just kind of has that same, kind of just, a, they have a memory, but there's not, like, a lot that comes from that, so. But I think he was a pretty quiet dude, right? Like, I think he kept to himself. Like, there wasn't, 
you know, anything crazy. And if you weren't playing golf, you know, I, I don't think you saw him a whole lot. Yeah, that was kind of my, my first thing when we found out he's this major rock star. It's like, is this the same guy? But I think it kind of comes across in his personality with, with interviews and even on stage when we're saying, why aren't you saying you're from here? Why aren't you? I think he's still kind of got that, uh, I don't know if it's shy or reservedness or, or Nephi, small town, whatever you want to say. I think that's still in there. I do have a story. It I just it. dawned on me. I do have a story. Keep talking, um, we'll get it. Yeah, so in kind of that spirit of him just being a quiet, you know, he doesn't necessarily view himself as somebody that should, like, get out of anything or anything like this. And so I'm sure his nephew Josh is going to be fine with me telling the story. But he was even talking about they were in, the, in Las Vegas together in a car together. He got pulled over, and the officer clearly recognized who he was. And uh, hopefully I'm telling the story right. I'm, I'm telling it pretty close. It's good enough for it to be for it to work. The officer recognized that, like, this is who you are. And and in Josh's words, his nephew is watching this whole thing. The officer gave him a very clear out from getting a ticket as like, could you sign something for me type of a thing. And it didn't even register with Brandon as like, oh, like if I just give him an autograph, I'll, it, it didn't even register with him and the guy gave him the ticket. Like it just, <laughs> just what like Josh was saying, like he kept like being like, so Brandon Flowers, huh? Like it kept like, <laughs> like offering up kind of an opportunity for him to be like, yeah, you want to get a photo together? Anything like that. It was, he said it was like almost got kind of a little awkward, like, <laughs> but it just never dawned on him. And I think that actually says a lot about his character, right? He just like, well, why would, you know, like, how, how would him, you know, what can I do? Just give me the ticket. I'll go. You know, like he didn't realize like I'm an international rock star and I could very easily get out of this with a little bit of charm and sign an autograph and get a picture. It wasn't just wasn't part of his DNA. You know, he's just like, yeah. yeah. So that is the one, one story. Yeah. It's not even my story. But. That's all right. So I don't think you told us your favorites from Pressure Machine. Can you narrow it down? <laughs> I'm a, I'm a vague guy. You know, I, I'm a real estate agent, so I'm not ever going to give anything specific, right? I'm going to deflect as often as possible. No, just teasing. Um, uh, I think I think the the West Hills is probably my favorite. I know that's an easy one. Um, remind me of the name of the the one with, that um, about Raymond and Tiffany. Quiet Town. Quiet Town. Really like Quiet Town, and I actually like your your take on it. It is it's interesting how upbeat the music is with how serious the lyrics are, right? Like it's, it's interesting. Um, I really like that one, but that was a, you know, wildly enough listening to the album. It's amazing when you heard that, how, how instantly you went back to right where you were. And you guys have talked about that and how, how really tragic, you know, that was. And, um, Tiffany was from Levan as well. Uh, you know, and so we were very tied into that. And I remembered it like it was yesterday. And I think we shared the same gym class. I think we were in the same gym class that, that, uh, when I, when we found out, like that was, that was awful. It was, that was a, that was a hard, that's a hard song to listen to. Even now, you know, I've listened to it a bunch of times and it's, it's, it's still really tricky. So. Well, the way Brandon talks about it, it sounds like, you know, it's, it's not something that he's been thinking about all these years, but so, you know, it came up. And suddenly he was taken back, just like you said. Um, something that, you know, you realize, wow, there was stuff. I was a kid I didn't really know how to deal with at the time and haven't thought about it forever. But as soon as somebody brings it up, you remember where you were when you found out. And 
you remember the last time you saw them or you know there's always those those touch points in time that, that you go back to like you said when similar things happen when you listen to music and it happens with smells and it's just it's just crazy how your brain works like that yeah you you, you mentioned it and, it and it immediately brought me back i had forgotten that that raymond came down and, and would would be in the gym class you know, and that he and Coach Jacobson were really good friends, and I had completely forgotten about all of that. And so, this honestly, big part of why I love listening to the show is it does so many times I get taken back. You know, like oh yeah, oh, oh yeah. So same same thing with the album. So. Yeah, it's kind of just a music's kind of a time machine like that. Certain things will just take you back, and uh, and you're there. And uh, with the Killers, that's happened for I think all of us. So, um, Joey, you're you're into the real estate, like you said. You want to give some plugs, some. How people can find you. Everyone's trying to come to Utah. Uh, how do they get a hold of you? How do they buy a house from you? Sure. Yeah. In fact, we just um, we just opened a kind of a little satellite office, or we I shouldn't say, but Meadow um, opened a little Mojo satellite office down there. And so we're with Cobalt Banker. We're we're the number one large team at Cobalt Banker on the Wasatch Front. Um, you know, real estate's really fun. It's been it's been funner kind of what this is what this has led to and kind of the opportunities that that it's presented. We've we've been able to do a lot of stuff with some really cool charities that we like. We we do a, a really fun golf tournament every year called the Mojo Open. Um, you can find that at Golf with Mojo on Instagram. We we uh, sponsor the Utah Valley Marathon every year and we've gotten the whole team into running marathons and and have created a really cool community around people that run. You can find that at, at runwithmojo.com or at runwithmojo on Instagram. Um, and then we're just, of course, at Real Estate with Mojo. Um, Mojo, we're not, I mean, we are huge Austin Powers fans, but uh, <laughs> my business partner's name uh, is Molly and my name is Joey. And so Mojo is a pretty easy fit. Um, but yeah, it's been, it's been really exciting and, and uh, love the career that kind of, uh, it, it, you know, I was I was working construction, and uh, it's it's weird kind of how the universe brings things to you that you ask for. I uh, it was a really rough time. Like I said, we'd gotten back from uh, deployment in, in you know the Great Recession, and finding work anywhere we could find work, and and not having any money. I I told my wife I said I you know I just felt like I need to get my real estate license. This was I don't know, twelve years, 12, 13 years ago, something like that, and. Uh, she said, all right, let's do it. And uh, about two weeks after I started taking the classes, I, I fell off of a chimney that I, I was bricking. Uh, it was three scaffold jacks high and fell and shattered my wrist, my right wrist, which was my trowel hand. Uh, in the masonry world, you know, your trowel hand means a lot. If you don't have that, you don't have much. And uh, very quickly had to figure out, um, you know, what I was going to do with my life, not having any schooling or anything else. And like most really good real estate agents, it's their second career. Um, not a lot of people fire out of the gates at, you know, 23 or whatever and are awesome real estate agents. There's a few. Uh, but it was it was kind of uh, one of those gifts that if I'd have known, I, I would have thrown myself off to, off a chimney, you know, years, <laughs> years sooner um, with the way it's all worked out. But, yeah, no, we, we love it. And, uh, um, we just we just couldn't be happier. We need we need more listings. There's just not enough inventory in this market for for there's just not enough to go around. So keep that in your back pocket. Joey, do you have anything else that you thought of that you wanted to talk about for sure? Uh, no, just I'm I'm really glad I, I found you guys in a very uh, I, I it just I somehow came across you. I don't even remember like it just all of a sudden 
you two were back in my life, <laughs> playing in my earbuds whenever I go on a long run or whatever. And I've just, I've really enjoyed this show. And I mean, that's why I reached out, especially after you had Clint Marklon, who I can honestly say is one of my, my very best friends. I think a lot of people can say that. He's, he's a class act. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really happy I found you guys. And I'm, I'm really glad you guys are doing this. This is, this is really cool. It's a cool concept. And I think it's a cool way to kind of bring everybody together um, through kind of this common experience. So. Yeah, well, we want to thank you for coming on. We want to thank you for your military service, and it's been a lot of fun talking with you. And that's another episode down from Lonely Town. <laughs>